This podcast is brought to you by UK Coaching, here for the coach. Visit ukcoaching.org to grow your coaching skills and be part of the community. This is a UK Coaching podcast. My name is Tom Hartley. I'm a senior coach developer at UK Coaching, and I'm joined presenting today by Jenny Cody. And our guest on the podcast today is Heather O'Reilly. Heather has had an illustrious career as a professional footballer and continues to be a wonderful ambassador for the game of football. What we'd love to talk about over the course of the, the call is just, just a bit of background and kind of where, where it all started for you. Um, uh, a bit of a conversation about kind of great coaching and the experiences you've had with, with different coaches across your career. Um, almost this, this kind of more recent transition for you from being an athlete, being a player into, into becoming a coach. Um, and then we'll, we'll finish off with some, some kind of quick fire questions at the end as, as well. Great. Sounds good. So in terms of where it all started then, um, what, what, what was the, the beginning for you? What inspired you to start playing football? Um, so, I mean, I do believe that I had, you know, a genuine um, talent early on and a passion early on, but I also recognized that I was put in a position to succeed. And what I mean by that is I feel very fortunate that I grew up, um, well, with three older brothers that were athletic, that were supportive. And I grew up in a town or a community that had a wonderful um, football history um, in New Jersey, which is about 30 minutes, 30 minutes south of New York City. So it had a very um, big immigrant community um, from pretty much all over Europe. But I think that provided um, a lot of good football um, environments. And so I feel you know, fortunate, not only on the boys' side, but even on the girls' side. Um, I think that around my age is kind of like the, the separation of, of women that um, didn't really have to play with the boys anymore, you know? Like I, I played sometimes with boys teams like to jump in and, but I had really wonderful girls programs to play with. And, you know, I would only maybe play up one year, play up an age group. And um, so I feel like I had a very supportive environment. Uh, my family was, was fantastic about like driving me to my soccer practice, like quintessential New Jersey, um, American uh, soccer family that you can imagine with like the big old minivan and my mom saying like, don't forget your water bottle. And, um, you know, so for me that, that was my, that was my path. But I think that I, I do always um, give credit to um, two things. One was um, my, the influence of my family and my brothers. I always really wanted to like impress them. And I was the only girl in my family I had three older brothers. So it was like a real big driver for me to, want to like try to hang with the boys to prove to them that I was like good enough and, and, and just feeding off their, um, their encouragement. Like when I would beat their friends who were like three years older than me, like they would just rile me up and think it was so funny. So I always tried to, I was a performer. I always tried to impress them. Um, and then, um, and then secondly, it was wonderful coaches that I had. I think uh, my family, was a really big um, academic family in terms of, you know, my, my mom had a teaching degree. She was a teacher for a while. So we always had a lot of respect for mentors, including our teachers and our coaches. Um, from a very early age, it was just really important to me. So I think that um, I clung on to a lot of my relationships with my soccer coaches. And a lot of them, some of them that I played for when I was five years old, are still, you know, in my life today. And I have about a string of four or five coaches that I consider my go-to mentors um, that if, you know, something comes up in, in football or in life, you know, they're on, they're on the speed dial. <laughs> um, so I, I do consider myself very lucky, but I do think that I also um, fostered those relationships too because um, they were important to me. That's awesome. So, so interesting, Heather. Um, in, in terms of those coaches that, that you, you, you kind of had as, as a young player, what, what was it about kind of that connection that you had with them that made those relationships really so special? Um, well, I think that, that they were like reliable. Um, that's one thing that I can remember. I mean, they were volunteers. They weren't um, paid. They were like dads of girls on the team, but they were very reliable. We always knew 
um, you know, the, where to be, what time to be there. They took it really seriously, I think, for their job. And I think that that made us feel special as kids and um, made, the, made the respect level high. Um, so yeah, I think that they were like reliable characters. Um, you know, I think that they, they knew that I was like this, this passionate, like fireball of a player and that I put a lot of, um, I think pressure on myself already. So I think that, you know, I never really spoke to them about this, um, but how they went about managing me, um, because I was always kind of on the edge of, of like tipping over, like in terms of like emotional um, drive and like wanting to win so bad and like wanting to always be better that I think that they sometimes um, just had to be a support net for me and um, just nudge me along. Um, so I always felt very supported, um, like from a emotional level, I guess that you can say. Um, so yeah, I think reliability and, and, and support was two things that separated them. And to be honest, like my coach, um, he was pretty dialed into the soccer, to the football like world. Like he um, got us tickets to what, what, what would it be, I guess, uh, the 94 World Cup that the U.S. hosted cool. um, in New York City. So like just exposed us, I think, to the, the game. Um, and then in, in 99, when I was um, a 14 year old, um, me and some of my like youth teammates went to the women's world cup and um, he was sort of the facility that coach was the facilitator of that just to get us exposed. And um, this was like, I barely even knew who Mia Hamm was. Um, I always laughed that I was more excited. I was a teenager. I was more excited to see NSYNC um, do the national anthem <laughs> than I was to actually watch the <laughs> For him, it was just about exposing us. And so yeah, I think that um, he went out of his way to to show us more than than just like our local soccer fields. He he um, brought brought it all to life for us. When when you look back, um, how important do you think those moments have been in terms of the path that you took? Those moments of going to those games and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, massive. I mean, critical for me to go and my dad was pretty good with this too we would go to obviously in the u.s like university games are a big deal so there's like princeton university is close to us or Rutgers university is close and my dad would take take us out as like teenagers to like go to the games and um but that world cup in particular was really really pivotal in terms of my like inspiration i remember actually getting like emotional in the in the stands um just because the U.S. were rock stars. I mean, they had, they sold out the stadium. They won the game. Mayhem scored a great goal. It was the opening match for the U.S. team to play in the tournament. Um, and I just like, tears are streaming down my face. And it was just one of those moments that I was like, here are my heroes. Like, I want to be just like them. Um, how can I do that? How can I shape my life in a way to, to do that? Um, and my teammates who were with me, like they liked soccer, but like it was definitely another level for me. And, and I think that they knew that they were very aware, you know, I was starting to like progress at a higher level um, than they were, but um, it was like, a, it was a social thing too. It was cool to, it was cool for, to play sports in my town. It was cool to play soccer. Um, you were like the popular kids. Um, so I think that that helped, um, on a social component, but yeah, those going to the games and, and meeting some of the, um, senior players, like later on in my career, like definitely were huge inspirations for me. Can I jump in Tom? Yeah, of course. Sorry, yeah. So many things I'm writing down there. Can I, so you've mentioned the social and the environment were, um, were you able to, kind of park the social side when you went to training or did you incorporate that fun lively element in training and balance the drive yeah no I think I think that that's actually one thing and, and Tom and I have discussed this is actually one thing that I think America or Americans in my opinion do a bit better um, than my experience in England in that like just because you're having fun doesn't mean that you're not working hard or you're not focused. Even at the university level, even actually with the U.S. team, I think the coaching staff 
gives us like the first 10 minutes of warm up. I would say, you know, when you're putting your boots on, when you're warming up, it's very loose. Like it's, and, and it's, it's, it's done from a strategic level. This is the time for people to kind of catch up to, you know, when you're younger, you're catching up gossip, that kind of stuff. You're having your laughs. Um, but that time is actually really important to, um, I think, build it, build, you know, this is like your little family, this is your community. So those, those moments I think were critical, um, as like a kid, because we all went to different schools. So that was our time to kind of catch up, um, and have laughs before the, the practice started. Um, and then even during practice, I mean, you're focused, but, um, there is a level of, you know, of, I don't want to say family, but like a lot of my strongest friendships were formed through my sport friends. I mean, I had some school friends that were like strictly my school friends, but for the most part, people that I talk to now, um, still like, you know, 25 years later, they're my sport friends. I think because like you go through these like more concrete, specific human highs and lows together, um, from winning games to, um, you know, those tournaments where it's like maybe, raining and crazy and like you're in the cars and you're out in the field and you're back in the cars like all that thing all that stuff you like you remember that and that's oh, yes. yeah so um I definitely think and that's why to be honest like when I stepped away from the game like in this last year that was a really big fear of mine um that that would be a void um and I think that you know I, I certainly missed the games on the weekend and the competition but for me, the camaraderie aspect and like the sisterhood and like um, the grind that you do together is actually like, it's a real thing. It's a real, um, it's a real connection with others. And I think, you know, in hindsight, that's, you know, it's only been a couple of months for me, but like, that's what I miss the most, you know? Yeah. Like bagging goals, the whole celebration thing, like that's fun, but like mostly I just miss the connection. Um, that I think is, you can build it in other jobs and other things in your life, but there's something special about team sports. And I definitely, yeah, I'd be I'm riding that wave with you for sure. And I think it, one of the, I know uh, Tom and I were talking about this around the transition period from an athlete's coach, we'll probably get to in a bit. But one other area that I'd love to know is when you had so much drive and passion, what do you think your coaches or the, maybe the early coaches did to manage those, what we would maybe label as like failure moments or moments where you didn't manage the expectations that you had for yourself? What do you think that they did well to maintain support you in that space? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, yeah, I vividly remember like, you know, missing a penalty kick and a penalty kick shootout and then the team not going through and just throwing myself on the ground and crying and, and, and I, yeah, I think that like they just were, they just gave me a hug, you know, they just like put their arm around me and wouldn't, would realize that I just needed some time to cool down. Um, and I think that above all, they like cared about me as a human being, you know, like not, I knew that it was like went further than just as a footballer. So, you know. I guess maybe calling to check in like the next day or if I was injured to make sure to reach out. Um, just, yeah, just anything that they could do to like make me feel um, valued as more than just, uh, you know, a, a part of their team, I think was really helpful to get me through like yeah. hard times. That's powerful. That does link, doesn't it, to the family. And then obviously going forward to the identity part of things why you wouldn't want that and that connection and that little five minutes at the start and everything threading through you look left and right and you have someone who knows you gets you and wants you to succeed definitely cool yeah so Heather at what what point was it for you when when you transitioned from kind of that that local grassroots football into something a bit more serious was that a, a big change for you with how, how did that feel yeah, it actually was a big change. Um, I think my, my family was very modest um, and, and, you know, so was I. I never wanted to be like too big for my britches, like too good for people. And these were my, like I said, these school friends of mine I had known since I was like 10 years old. And so when I was getting to maybe the age of 14, 
yeah, I'd say, I'd say 14 to 15 um, was a really stressful time for me and my family because it was very clear that like I was on another plane from my peers in my local community in terms of my talent level, in terms of my drive. Um, they were still good players. Some of them, you know, went on to play university level, but um, yeah, it was, it was I, I didn't want to leave them out to dry. And, but it was like becoming very clear that like I had this incredible potential that wasn't being, I think, reached. And that young coach of mine, um, I think, you know, he tried to be very supportive, but for him too, it was like losing one of his treasures, his prizes that he, you know, was really influential in developing. And I think that it's kind of like a parent that like knows that you have to like let your let your bird fly away. And, and I think that it was like a tough time for my coaches, my parents and, and myself, because um, I knew that it was time to kind of go to this other, this other club that was a bit more of a, a farther drive that was like way more serious. Um, but it meant like kind of separating from my comfort bubble and my friends that had been there since I was like 10 years old. So um, it was like a bit of a transition time, I would say. I think that everybody knew it was the right call, certainly, but it was still like a difficult time, I think, especially for girls around that age. Um, I'm sure for boys too, but maybe girls, like the social aspect is, is actually, you know, like super critical. Um, so I definitely think that having extra support during that time um, is helpful for young females just to feel like, you know, they can build relationships somewhere else or like, you know, there's nothing bad about having big dreams. I think that I, for some reason, I, I think I just lucked out with people that I was around that didn't make me feel bad about having these incredibly high ambitions. Um, some people try to kind of like stifle that or like bring it down. It's like, well, why, why do you always have to try so hard? Why do you always like why you know it's like not cool to try so hard kind of thing but like I was around people that were just like go for it Heather like this 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 is awesome um and would be supportive in that um so I I think I think that that's actually a difference that I have seen and this is very much generalizing stereotyping but um from what I saw in the UK I think that like and I hope that you don't take offense to this but there is like a bit of a, um, for, for high achievers, a lot of people look at them and think like, how can we kind of bring them down a little bit or like, who do they think they are sort of thing, like come join the rest of us. Where in the US, I think a lot of young athletes are like more encouraged to just go for it. And that be like striving for excellence is, is this incredible um, thing that should be supported and, and not held back. Really interesting. I think, yeah, I, I, I understand your point and, and I'm, I'm really interested in, in that, that, that transition, if you like, and for you as a player in, in that environment, you, you're moving from maybe a, a, an environment where you want to really work hard, your, your determination, that fireball quality that you had, and maybe all that fun and social aspect you had with the game moving into a more potentially serious environment what what was that like were you still able to keep, kind of keep that that love of the game in in a, an environment that felt a lot more serious was that something that the coach helped you with or was that a difficult period to go through well I think again um to kind of drive home the point that I made earlier that I was never really part of an environment that was like oh no we're not allowed to have fun anymore like this is this is serious stuff now they were competing for scholarships, were competing for national teams. Like it was never really black and white like that. I think even, even as I joined um, teams that were a higher level, like say at the University of North Carolina where I joined, it was somewhat of a, an academy, I guess you can kind of say um, at age 18. For us, like there's nothing more fun than like competing at, at practice, like competing hard, like to the point of like people kind of getting after it with each other. Um, we find that fun. And maybe that's like a, you know, loose screw for a lot of us. Um, but the fact that like we found it fun to like try hard, to work hard, to compete hard, 
Um, yeah, I, I don't think that there was, um, there was rarely any times in my life that I felt like beat down or burned out. I think that like it was because it's all it's all the environment that you're in. I mean, if you're um, I think that if you're the only one with that feeling, that's when it gets fatiguing. And that's when it's hard because you, you feel like an outsider sort of. But if you find a team or an environment that's kind of like like minded people, I think people kind of the energy bounces off each other and then you realize like, no, it's, it, this is super fun. It's also very hard, but it is super fun still. Um, and I think that I, I've been fortunate to be on, for the most part, teams that have, have done that. That's really cool because we, I mean, we've loads of reports that come back from different studies collating all the evidence of its enjoyment, enjoyment, enjoyment for certain age groups. That's why they do sport. That's why they want to continue being physically active. But that's really interesting for you to say, like, which I can, again, totally relate with the, the buzz of competing and training and the buzz of bouncing off each other. And actually, if you do get a little bit ratty with each other, so what? It stays in the court, stays in the pitch. And yeah. then you natter about something later on. And I know people say there's difference in how boys and girls deal with it. But from my experience, now we're at a stage where there's a lot of focus on athlete-led approach, autonomy in, in training and in, um, in coaching and practice. But I think if the, the coach is connected with the athletes and knows what their drivers are, it's really easy for them to, to have a session plan that's loose or willing to go off piste if they see the buzz and the smiles, but there's an edge in the competitiveness that's there as well. Yeah, definitely. And I think that people's buttons are pressed like different ways. And, and that's the sign of a wonderful coach, right? To really have like a decent read on all your players. And, and it's complicated formula because, you know, somebody at 15 years old might then start acting a little bit different when they're 17. So there's a lot of different things for coaches to keep an eye on. But um, I think if they, they have an idea what like the central motivation, the central drivers are, um, then, then they're a lot better off. But yeah, no, I, I totally agree that, uh, that, you know, some athletes um, at a certain age and like, yeah, the, the fun kind of knocks out of it, but I think that there's a lot of, at least in the soccer space, um, a lot of my like peers, like the, we call it pickup. I don't know. You guys would just call it like five aside culture or whatever. Like I will probably play five aside football until I'm an old lady. Like I just love the game. I love, like I said, I love the camaraderie aspect. I love like staying fit. Um, I love competing. And so I think that that says a lot. I think that there's a lot of footballers that also feel that way that are like, just love being out there on the field with their boots and their buddies. Um, and then there's some players that like, once they retire, they're like, haven't put on a pair of football boots since, you know? So I think it kind of depends on the, on the person, but for the most part, I do think that it's a really like joyful game. Um, whereas like maybe swimming or something like that, that like, you've been, you've been looking at that black line in the water for a long, long time. And, and, and maybe it's, it's hard to find the fun on a day-to-day -day level, but um, I do think that's why I am thankful that I played team sports. because I do think that um, the chance of it remaining fun um, is maybe a little bit higher. <laughs> so if I can ask you one more question on, on the coaching side of things, from all your experience of different teams and environments that you've played in, if there's a coach listening today that would like to um, have your words of like top tips of you're going into a coaching space, what, what are those things that you're bringing? What's the first and foremost things that you're bringing to the practice? Because uh, I know, um, you know, seeing that you're going back and you're doing some coaching in that space and uh, back to UNC, is that right? Back to Tarheel? Yeah. Yeah. Fab, fab, can't wait to get to that part of the conversation. But um, I'm thinking of coaches that I work with and thinking of coach conversations that I've had where people go, but, but how do I create that environment? Is it all in the relationships? What, what have you picked up along the way? Yeah, um, I definitely think relationships are, are everything. So it's, it's really, like I said, important to, um, I think, spend time with your athletes, like even just listening in, like on, on conversations or how they interact with, with their teammates, I think is, is critical. So don't kind of like dismiss those moments, even like maybe at the airport or on the team bus, um, because I think that you can learn a lot about people and, and kind of what they're going through. So kind of have your ear out for, um, yeah, what motivates each individual player. And I think that if you approach um, 
if you approach coaching as like helping your, your players to, um, we call Anson Dorans, the coach at UNC calls it the never ending ascension as a player. Um, I mean, it's, it can't, it can't be like this cause you go through, you, you know, it kind of looks like this, but, um, it should be, um, as a person and as a player, you should feel like you're always improving or getting better. And sometimes you improve by taking a step back for a second and then finding your way out of it. But I think that players just want to feel like they're getting better. Um, they want to feel like they're improving. They want to feel like they're not stagnant. Um, so as a, as a coach to maybe always remind your players and your team collectively, but let's just go from an individual level, um, just continue to remind your players like, Hey, you weren't heading the ball like this, like six months ago, like whatever you're doing is, is paying off. Or, you know, you, you know, last year you would have gotten nervous on that breakaway and like, can you believe like your increasing composure? And like, I think that that like the betterment factor um, really drives players. And as a team, you want to feel like that too. You want to feel like, okay, all these hours I'm spending out in the field, what, what, what are they for? And, and what they're for is like incremental gains and to kind of continue to remind your team of those, you know, marginal gains of improvement, I think really kind of like lights a fire in, in the human element because everybody wants, yeah, everybody wants to feel like they're like, they're growing, they're developing um, yeah. as, a, as a human and as a footballer. So yeah, if you can kind of continue to, to remind your team of the, the marginal gains, um, I think that you'll have buy-in from your team. Wicked. Awesome. Where are you so driven in the, in the, I'm picturing as a going forward space, you're going into training, going to practice, um, and it's that better, you know, mentality all the time, little wins every session. How, um, how did you reflect after training or did, was that something that you did regularly and how did that then inform or impact your next session? Um, that's a good point. I think that like, I wasn't always, I, I knew some of my peers were really good at sort of like documenting their progress and whether that would be like in journaling or keeping track of, of certain stats and stuff like that. Um, I wouldn't say that I was like super cerebral about it, but um, I would celebrate my like small successes. And I think that um, like, for instance, if you were able to um, score a goal with your left foot that you've been working on, I don't think that there's anything wrong with being like, that was lefty too, you know, like, just like, like celebrate your, um, your strides and, and make it known to everybody. Like, this is something I've been working on and like, now it's, now it's better than it was before. And so, um, yeah, I think that we didn't really conceal much about, <laughs> um, where we felt like we were improving and that we were proud of it. That makes sense. Cool. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. I was, I'm really curious about like where, where you've been really challenged and stretched because you, you've obviously played in, in a whole range of different environments, whether that's in, a, in an Olympic squad, in, a, in a, going into a World Cup or in, in club football, both, both in the States and in England. Um, what, what environments have really pushed you to your limit? Um, I mean, I think that like, since I've been a teenager, it's been, it's been a string of environments that have pushed me, um, a lot of, a lot of things too, because you're, you're part of different teams. You play different roles on different teams. Sometimes you're the star of the team. Sometimes you're, um, a, a reserve player. Um, and when I was younger, I used to like score quite a bit of goals. I think like a lot of people did when they were younger, but I did I'd go through like different position changes where I used to be like the goal scorer. Then I kind of moved farther back on the field and was more kind of like a winger sort of support player. So I think that those kinds of things were challenging in terms of like different roles, different like expectations, like um, to have for a team. Um, yeah, certainly going overseas was, um, a challenge for me. I think it's like, yeah, a, a huge cultural shift, um, getting used to a, a new group of, of people of style, but that's exactly why I wanted to do it because I had like this very, um, U S centric hat on for a long, long time. And I kind of wanted to like 
really push myself and expose myself to, to different ways of doing things. Um, so that was, um, yeah, that was hard. I would say being away from, from family, I think, um, was, was challenging. So I think within, within different arenas, you're challenged in different ways. And, um, and then, you know, broadly, I think just kind of going to a new, yeah, going to new teams, um, every time I think is, is hard. Um, especially if you're such a relationship based person, like I am, like I spoke about, because those things take some time. I think it takes time to build trust amongst teammates, amongst coaches. Um, and so when you feel like that's kind of disrupted, um, it's hard to adapt. It must be difficult to start from scratch every, every team over, especially if you're, like you say, you're orientated in that way around, around relationships, which take time. Yeah, I think so. I think that the good thing about me is like, I'm a pretty like outgoing person, um, you know, kind of hard on my sleeve for the most part. So it maybe gets expedited a little bit faster, like kind of getting in with the squad, um, getting to know people. But I definitely think that that's something to look for, for, um, for people that maybe are a little bit more introverted, because not only is a transition hard, but then you know, per, like just personality wise, like for them to um, feel like they're making those connections, it, it could be very challenging. So um, it's definitely important for coaches to, to continue to foster those relationships. I've got another great question. Um, Heather, you mentioned about kind of wearing your heart on your sleeve. Um, is, is that the, the way you approach the game and the way you approach training and playing? Did that rub off on, on other players in the, in the squad? I think so. Um, I think, you know, if, if that's been a positive um, contribution that I've been able to make to teams that I've been part of, like, I'm really proud of that. I have been part of a lot of um, championship teams or winning teams. And if I was kind of somewhat of a secret sauce, I guess, in those, in those environments, like that's, that that's one of my biggest accomplishments. And I think, um, I think that if anything, like, I think that like I have demonstrated, um, again, that it is like cool and admirable to like try hard. Um, I keep talking about that because especially with kids today, like it's, you know, people seem not to like, like the go hards because it's like, I don't know. It's cool. It's, it's seemingly cool in school as well. It's like, you know, you don't want to be like teacher's pet, but I think that I kind of made it cool to like try hard. I would always be like the annoying one that was like yelling out the score all the time where people just like roll their eyes. Like, okay, we don't need to keep track of the score all the time. And I'm like, yes, we do. <laughs> yes, we do. And, um, and I think, you know, I think that I, I hopefully allowed people to kind of put their guards down and just be silly. And, um, and like I said, yeah, not be embarrassed to like have big ambitions. So I do, I, I would like to think that it rubbed off on people in a positive way. Um, I, guess, I guess if you're doing it on a regular basis and that's you, it almost gives other people permission to, to try it for themselves. I think so. Yeah. I think especially when I was an older player um, for a younger kid to come in and see me kind of being silly or um yeah kind of like this work hard but play hard mentality of like yes we can we can joke around but like when when it's business time like it's time um and I think that that yeah that probably allowed them to like kind of take a breath and be like okay I can be myself here like this is a safe environment like look at Heather she's even doing ridiculous stuff like and I just think that like, yeah, that's one thing that I pride myself in is, is making people feel comfortable uh, in their own skin and um, providing kind of like a safe, safe environment, like not, not a bullying environment, not one that people gossip and talk about others. Um, just kind of like, yeah, I guess, I guess safe, a safe place is, is the best way to put it. I, I get the feeling, Heather, and from kind of knowing you and be, being around you, I, I, I can sense this as well. But I can imagine because you're promoting all of those behaviours, being really inclusive, being that team member, wearing your heart on your sleeve, for those players who perhaps are new into the squad or, or, or younger and experienced, 
it, it's making them feel at ease that they can give things a go and, and reduces some of the, the fear factor around potentially stepping into a into a first team environment. Yeah, I, I, thanks for saying that. I, I would think I would think so. Whether you're a younger player or you're a new player, um, you almost want sometimes permission to be yourself. Um, and yeah, I think that like I kind of just demonstrate that that it's just like we don't need duplicates, we don't need copycats. Like we just need people being their their their, their true selves. Um, and if I can kind of encourage people along and and bring that out. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a really big responsibility, I think. And, and one that like, I'm, I'm really proud of. So re- rewinding then when, when you were making your, your debut with the, with the national team, were you 16 when you first got called up? 17. Yeah. 17. Okay. Um, and, and perhaps you were in a squad, I'm guessing with some of the players that you might've seen when, when you went to watch some of those world cup games. Was, yeah, exactly. Was, was almost that relationship reciprocal from the way that you like to, you like, you kind of conduct yourself as a senior pro? Um, yeah. I mean, certainly they, it was intimidating. Like, it's not like they, they didn't baby me by any stretch, but they definitely took their arm around me and said, like, welcome to this club. Like, this is a pretty special club. Um, and if you can, and if you can, um, yeah, if you can be yourself and, and contribute, like, we're here for it. I, I remember this one time in particular that um, I was actually late for team breakfast. Like I was just a teenager. So I think I slept in or like hit my alarm or something. And I was late for team breakfast and we had to do, or our captain at least told us that because some people have been late recently, we have to do some sprints to like make up for it. And I was like, so stressed by this. Um, I, I thought that like I had blown my chance. I was never going to get called back. And so the team had us like on the, on the end line, ready to run. And in my head, I'm like, Oh my gosh, I need to like win these sprints because first of all, this is my fault. And second of all, I want to like make a good impression. And they like dropped their hand and we started running and I was the only one running. Um, It was all to kind of like play a trick on me. First of all, I got out about 50 meters because I was like, so kind of like somewhat arrogant that I was like fast I thought I was just like ahead of the pack, which is insane. Now looking back, like these were some world-class athletes, but I was like so eager to just like show my athletic ability. I thought that I was ahead of the pack. And then um, I realized that they were just like laughing on the ground and like, but I think about that time as really special because if it's not the right environment, something like that could be very, um, yeah, like a bullying culture or one that you feel embarrassed and I was certainly embarrassed, don't get me wrong, but it was one that was like kind of done in a light manner that kind of was a lesson for me to learn. Like, you know, don't be late anymore, but, um, but like, we care about you. This is just a friendly trick and, um, you know, kind of like welcome to the squad sort of thing. And yeah, so I think that that was like an, an example of like you're saying of some somehow that like I was told at a young age like you know it's okay to put your guard down it's okay to have some fun sometimes um but as long as you're like pulling your weight um it's all good I had a conversation with a, a coach recently where we were, we were transferring the language over because it's really interesting to see that bully environment where that was an environment for years that people grew up like a punishment um, space where you do and we uh, we framed it buoyant banter we could get to a point where you, know, you said like there's a supportive family we're you know you're interested but we're going to have a giggle off the back of this yeah um, we're going to remind you what the standards are but like let's see how you react to this one. yeah I think that's a really like fragile line that coaches need to keep an eye on and and as we all know like it only takes a couple of bad eggs in your squad to like nudge that line too far and it affects everybody. Um, and even if it just affects people like 5% of like, uh, like, is this a safe environment? Am I going to get teased like too far? That's, that's decreasing their, their performance, even if it's just 5%, but think about all those percentages added up. And that's why some teams aren't able to like achieve their highest potential because they're all kind of like for whatever reason, shaving a few, percentages if it's 
the coach that's making them feel like that or if it's a peer. So um, really, really important to kind of keep your eye on that. And, and, uh, and again, I think that that's like an age thing too. Like I think a lot of teenagers, um, it's just a defense mechanism to like, uh, because you're not so sure of yourself, you're insecure, you want to like bring other people down. Um, so I think it's very critical for coaches to keep an eye on um, keeping a positive and, and supportive environment. And, and, and like you said, you can, it can go to a certain point, but, um, but that line really needs to be watched because I think that if people are safe in their environment, like from an emotional, physical, certainly um, from a social level, they're willing to like, kind of like take this like shell off. And when people take their shell off um, and their weight off, that's when like beautiful things happen for a team and for individuals to like go to a next level. So if people are always like a little bit guarded, that's um, you're not going to get the most out of people. I think you've heard a really important thing there that I hope we can, um, <clears throat> I hope the coaches who are listening can pick up on that and athletes and parents that it's the social shell. It's if you can make that space safe for them on a social, it's not their technical or tactic ability always that we're looking and focusing on. It's their safety in a social space for them to express themselves, permission to be yourself, as you said. Absolutely love that. It's like there's loads of, I'm, I get a buzz even from how you speak about it and I can see your face here as you're speaking, but it's um, the, the intrinsic motivation that you had all the way through may have had points where you have been motivated through success or the drive that you've had. What drives you now? Hmm. Um, that's a great question. I think that like, I'm certainly in like a transition time of my like life, um, in terms of like, yeah, because I have been a footballer for so long. Um, it's been a very like concrete goal. Um, and so, yeah, just kind of assessing what does motivate me. But I, I, I definitely think that like, I, I'm, uh, you know, I'm always striving for better still. I've taken that from um, my days of, of being a player, like where can I make self-improvements, marginal gains, um, continuing to get better. I don't like a feeling of like being stagnant. Um, and I like, yeah, I like seeing young people, um, go after their goals. I really like, I'm motivated by helping the next generation. I'm motivated by continuing to like broaden, um, soccer or football in America it, it's still kind of lingering at like fourth most um, broadcast sport and so I'm always kind of because it was so important to me and I see it as such like a global game and there's so many positives I really want to see it kind of take off here so I'm, I'm motivated by that I'm motivated by um, helping females um, feel empowered um, but yeah, I think that like I've been given a lot. So I have a immense like desire to make the world a little bit better. Um, and my world, my concentrated space is in, is in sport and is in um, working with young people. So um, if I can kind of leave my mark there, um, like I left as a player, that's, yeah, that's my drive now. When you, um, Heather, when, when you're obviously making this transition now from, from being, a, being a player into becoming a coach, is there anything from, from the experiences you've had across your career, good or bad, that you really want to bring into your, your world as a coach and, and build into the way that you go and do things? Um, yeah, certainly. I mean, I definitely think that... Um, I have like, a, I do have like a new appreciation for like the sports um, psychology side of things um, like mental health of athletes, like absolutely critical. Something that I think that like you never emphasize or it's changing times are changing, but I, I definitely think that it's so important to support your athletes like holistically. Um, and yeah, I mean, whether you're transitioning from a sport when you're 15 years old because you get an injury or whether you're 35, like that transition, that transition period is, is certainly difficult and daunting and scary. So I think that like that would be something that I would take with me um, and be able to relate now to, to, to future players. 
from from starting your your journey into into coach education, and, and I know you've, you recently done your UA for B B license. Is there anything that, that surprised you, or anything that's been really memorable from from your first experiences of that? Um, yeah, I think that there there has been things that have surprised me. I think that um, I think that I have realized that you know just because I was like to be told, I was a very like um, coachable player. I think that you can say is like, tell me what to do and I will execute it. Or like, give me a goal and I will get there. I was very like goal oriented, but like not everybody's like that. (laughs) And that's not, if I only go into it with that mentality of coaching a team with that mentality, um, we won't be successful because I think that people are wired differently and, and it's not my way or the highway. Like it worked for me for, you know, for the most part, <laughs> like it was a successful mentality, but for maybe more like creative players or players that like maybe want a little bit more range of being told kind of what to do that, um, that it's critical to kind of give that freedom. So I think that that would be one thing that I've like learned from the, from the program. It's like, I, I can't just coach everybody the way that I would want to be coached. Like I need to really kind of like be aware of what worked for me, but what maybe worked for other people and give a little bit more space to, um, to explore and be creative. And I think that I also learned that like, I'm pretty impatient. Like, you know, if things aren't working like in like two or three games, like I will be frustrated and probably one of those coaches that are like laying in bed, pulling my hair out. Um, but I, I have to be willing to see things as like projects and like, um, six month projects or one year projects, whatever it is. Um, and just kind of see like more long term that I think when you're a player, you like just show up and you do. Whereas like a coach needs to realize that some things maybe take time and, and you're laying, like you're laying foundations in that, like you hope to see, in the far off future, but it might not be for a while. So um, I've learned that a little bit as well. What does it mean for you going back to the Tar Heel setup and mm-hmm. uh, putting on the blue and that approach? Yeah. Oh, look at you, you know the colors and everything. Um, it's very special because I think that like, as a kid, this was like a big dream of mine, um, you know, and for a lot of, female players in the u.s um this is a big dream to you know to wear those colors to um you know for people in england maybe it would be like the equivalent of joining an academy um a top-notch academy um maybe arsenal academy so you can play for tom's team um uh, so yeah it's, it's just kind of like a big um ambition and so yeah, I don't think that there's a better place for me to be right now because um, I like that age group. I like that like 17 to 21 year old age group. I think that um, you still have a big role in their development, but they kind of get it now. They get why you're doing things. Um, you know, character starts to show a little bit more consistently. So you know the players that like, quite frankly, like that you want to invest in and the players that like, you know, you can't want it for them, you know? So I think, um, yeah, I like this kind of this, this ambitious, um, age of, of university students. And I'm learning from probably the best manager that's, um, been out there. His name's Anson Dorrance. He won the first world cup with the U S national team in 91 Um, And he's won like a ridiculous amount of university titles, like 22 out of 28 or something like that have been um, here at UNC. So he has a, um, a history and a dynasty of, of excellence. Um, But the one cool thing that I've realized about working for him is that he's talk about like a never ending ascension. He is always learning. He is always reading. He is always listening to talks. He's always meeting people. Um, he has like an incredible appetite to learn and grow himself and not ever is one of his seasons, like same old, same old, like run of the mill. It's like always a new challenge. It's always a new group of players. So there's like 
different um, dynamics that are going on that are making him think different ways. So um, the way that he's maintained his um, desire and his hunger, I think has been really inspiring to me. And he, he always shows up to training. Like it's his like first week on the job. Um, and I think that that's really cool and a, and a good energy to be around. Definitely. It sounds infectious. It sounds that like that freshness is so important to have that insatiable need to, to, to want more for the athletes, for themselves to re, you know, to, to keep that, even if it is a facade that he may need on certain days, you know, crossing that line. Okay. I've got to be here for the athletes today. How can I refresh this? How can I make this um, nice and, and sprightly or engage? Um, if, if I could pick up on one um, on one of the points around female coaches, and I said at the start of this that you and all the accolades and the the fabulous things that maybe people would originally associate with you, the Olympics, the World Cup, um, and the platform and stage. One of the things that I have seen on multiple occasions is your ability to use that platform to be such a positive influence in so many areas. Even of late, like the Cameo project for the COVID and a number of different areas, but one that that um, stands out for me as well, and it links to some movement that we've been talking about here, is around gender equity and and supporting female coaches and as much as I'd like to take that female away from the front of coach <laughs> female coach word and um, what kind of advice and support would you give where there isn't as much visibility um I think you mentioned yeah. earlier kind of some parts of the states and having had that exposure um and seen and being immersed in that like it is in fact just going to games yeah. it is a you said your sport in your town was really supportive if if people are not in that space or don't have a voice what kind of advice yeah. would you give them um, I guess just like, don't be afraid to be the first, like, just because it hasn't happened yet doesn't mean it's like never going to. Um, yeah. So kind of like, I mean, clearly it helps, you know, you hear the, the, the slogan, like if, if you can see it, you can be it. And like, a lot of times it takes, like, it takes seeing somebody do it to like do, but like that person needs a reason to do it too. You know, like somebody needs to be the first. Like, for instance, I, you know, now that I'm coaching, a lot of people do say, like, right away, they're like, oh, that's wonderful that you're coaching or thinking about getting into coaching. You know, we think that, like, young girls need, need great role models like you kind of thing. And I'm, and I'm always like, well, thanks for saying that. Um, I never said I was coaching young girls. Like, why? Like, there's already this assumption. And I'm like, maybe I want to coach men. Like, maybe I want to coach uh, Academy boys age. Like, um, and I think that they need good role models too. Like, um, so, but it's just because it hasn't been really done and like, you know, whether it's me or whether it's somebody else, like somebody needs to be the first. So, um, yeah, I think that just kind of be bold and, and kind of look, look what all is there, what all is out there, not just things that you've seen done before. Um, and certainly like in terms of coaching courses, I'm sure that you guys have seen this a ton. It's just like the percentage is way down still. I mean, even at my, um, a recent UEFA, uh, I think it was UEFA B that they were doing after my conclusion, um, there was 30 candidates and only three women out of the 30. And I'm just like, well, that's just not good enough. Like that's 10%. And like, why is this still happening? <laughs> is it the marketing? Is it? are we getting the word out or is it on the, or is it on the women to like, just be a little bit gutsier and bolder um, to step into something that's like a little bit uncomfortable. Um, so I think that there's like a lot of, a lot of ways you can kind of look at it, but I think, yeah, that, that would be my biggest piece of advice is just because it hasn't done before. doesn't mean it's off the table. Um, the world needs, needs first and why not it be you? Awesome. Yeah. Cool. So first of all, Heather, um, if you could rewind the clock, um, what advice would you want to give to your 16-year-old self? Ooh, strap in. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, hmm. Gosh, there is so much. Um, yeah, I think I think that I would just reiterate to her um to not be embarrassed about being ambitious i think that even at 16 like i was still kind of had this i say like the safety um 
what would you call it in England with the driving, like um, a handbrake, the, the parking brake. I guess it's yeah, like driving, yeah, yeah. The parking brake. and it's like I was like stepping on the gas real hard, but then there was like a little bit of me that was also like kind of like had the parking brake on because of just I don't know. I think that like you, I I didn't want to feel. It's very exposing to be elite. It's very like, um, I don't know, vulnerable, I suppose, in a way. And I think that there was part of me that like still kind of was nervous about um, taking big jumps. So I think that I would, I would be like, don't be embarrassed to, to have big dreams and to be ambitious and like surround yourself with people. And I think I did a pretty good job with this, but there was still some like, I still got involved with some like bad eggs and like some people that like looking back, I'm like, why did I spend time with that person? Do they want the best, the best for me? Or were they just like popular in school? And so I liked hanging out with them. Um, yeah. So surround yourself with the most positive, supportive environment that you can um, and not be afraid to be great. Wow. Cool. What has been the most important accomplishment in your career to date? Hmm. 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 Um, I think my, one of my most important accomplishments is to like wear my country's jersey 231 times. I have 231 appearances and I just think that's really special that like I was asked to be a representative for the U.S. for that many times um, through a lot of different eras of the game developing, through a lot of different coaching staffs from you know my age of being 17 to I think my last cap was when I was, I don't know, 33 maybe. So, you know, it ranged like a long time of my life. So I think having like that longevity um, is something that I'm I'm probably most proud of. Awesome. Uh, what was your super strength as a player? Um, my qualities, I, it was, it was pretty clear early on was like my engine, my work ethic, my like fitness and aerobic and anaerobic capacity. I think that like, I, I had a, hopefully this helps me in the next couple of weeks as I'm giving birth to my first child, but I have a, an, an ability to kind of push through pain, um, maybe better than, better than some. So that was like my super strength was my ability to run all day. Um, and, and give it all for my team. You, you might need a bit of that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, on the back of that then, what, uh, what was your downtime? What was your, what was your slow down thing? What did you do to switch off? Hmm. Um, well, I, I do think that like schoolwork was a very like big um, emphasis in my family. So like I was always balancing school and football, which I think, um, that compartmentalization like allowed me to kind of step away from the game. Um, so I always kind of had that. Um, yeah, I think I can work on having some hobbies. Uh, <laughs> but oh, I, you'll be busy. You know, as I've gotten older, I've really enjoyed reading a lot. Um, and just you kind of get into like a whole another world and it allows you to relax and um, turn your brain off. So Watching movies and reading, I think, would be my relaxation tools. Brilliant. Uh, last one, Heather. Um, who or what inspires you the most? Um, I think it was my senior peers on the national team, to be honest. Um, Mia Hamm was a really important character in my life. Um, she was just like a big inspiration. And actually, you can see behind me, I. I was had the honor of wearing the number that she wore throughout her career was number nine. And when she retired, I like took it over on the national team. And that was like a huge, huge honor for a young player. And I think that like, I always wanted to like do it justice and um, do her proud in a way. Like I wanted to like carry this torch and this flame that like she lit for me. Um, so yeah, that was a really influential character, I think, in my like drive and um, my ambition. That's amazing, and and that that's, that what a, what an awesome awesome accolade to have as a player to be able to kind of follow in the footsteps of someone you saw as a as a real role model for you. Yeah, definitely. It was um, yeah. There's no one better, I think, than to to um, aspire to be like.
Cool. Awesome. Brilliant. Heather, we, we're going to wrap it up there, but look, thanks so much for, for your time um, kind of recording this with us today. Um, I'm sure that all the coaches listening will, will have so many takeaways that they can go and think about the impact that they can have on their players and, and the influence they can also have as a as being that, that real real positive role model. Um, and I'm sure if there's any athletes listening as well, to, to kind of really kind of tap into your your inner drive and, and your determination to do what you've done through your career. So, um, no, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Yeah, I hope awesome. that it was helpful for coaches and players. So if I was uh, inspiring in any way, then it's a good day. <laughs> Great stuff. Thanks, Jen. Thanks, Tom. Join us at ukcoaching.org. Whatever you're doing to help people be active and improve, we can help you deliver great coaching experiences at a time to suit you.